Well, it's that time of year again. Projects are in full swing, and you know what that means. you got to make that trip up to Jacob's Supply. Whether you're a contractor or builder, or you're checking those things off the to-do list around the house, now is the time to visit Jacob's Supply. Guys, listen to some of the crazy good deals they have going on right now. PVC decking for $2.99 a linear foot in 10 different colors. Composite decking for $2.35 a linear foot in two colors. Treated decking for $0.65 a linear foot. Duralife composite rail kits available in select colors starting at $64.99. And don't forget the vinyl rail kits also available in stock. Need the fasteners? They have those too. Hidden or visible? Clips or screws. Jacob Supply is located in Temperance, Michigan, but ships many products nationally too. So whether you're in-state or out-of-state, they're just a click or call away. Check them out at www.jacobsupply.com or call them at 734-224-0978. That's 734-224-0978 or click the link in the description of this episode. Jacob Supply, your one-stop shop for products you need at prices you love. Hey guys, you got to join us at the Thank God for Bitcoin 2024 conference in Rocket Town, Nashville, July 24th and 25th. Last year was phenomenal and this year is going to be even better. G.K. Chesterton once said, I never discuss anything else except politics and religion. There is nothing else to discuss. Given how secular our current world is, this might sound strange. We can think of many things that don't initially seem political, but whether we recognize it or not, religion and politics define the playing surface and rules that govern our lives and actions. And money is one of the most powerful tools in enacting the wills of both government and God. Although we all use it, few Christians have a rich, biblically grounded, historically informed framework through which to understand what money is, and consequently the effect it necessarily has on how we think about economic issues. Well, that won't fly at this conference. We're talking stewardship, dominion, and the economics of glory with some of the biggest names around. Speakers include Michael Foster, C.R. Wiley, Dr. Ben Merkel, Dr. Glenn Sunshine, Nate Fisher, Jordan Bush, and many, many more. You won't want to miss this lineup. This is one of the most intellectually powerful theologically sound, and all-around good time conferences you can go to this summer. So go to www.tgfb.com, that's Thank God for Bitcoin, www.tgfb.com, and get your tickets today, or click on the link in the description of this episode. See you there, guys. Christians, are you tired of just talking about starting a parallel economy and not doing anything about it? The Workspace Conference is the catalyst you've been waiting for. Join us this June 28th and 29th at the Hilton in downtown Fort Worth, Texas. Engage with leading Christian thinkers like David Bonson, C.R. Wiley, Steve Jeffrey, David Reese, and Andrew Krapyshevs. They'll share invaluable insights on how to actively integrate your faith with your professional life in ways that really matter. These leaders are not just thinkers, but doers, shaping a Christian approach to business that makes a real impact. This event is more than speeches. It's a vibrant networking hub for Christian professionals and entrepreneurs eager to create substantial change. It's an opportunity to forge meaningful connections, explore new business opportunities, and collaborate in a faith-driven environment. Don't miss the highlight of our networking opportunities, the exclusive speakers dinner. This is a premier event where you can dine with our speakers and other influential guests, deepening relationships and discussing ideas in an intimate setting. We are also actively seeking partners who are passionate about building a Christian economy. If you're interested in collaborating or sponsoring, we'd love to hear from you. And make sure you join us for Beer and Psalms for some relaxed fellowship and let's turn our faith into action together. So reserve your spot now at www.worksbase.com That's worksbase.com or click the link in the description of this episode and be part of building a dynamic Christian professional community. Let's move beyond talk, fellas, and start creating the change we want to see. Exploring theology, doctrine, and all of the fascinating subjects in between? 
Broadcasting from an undisclosed location, Dead Men Walking starts now. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dead Men Walking Podcast. We appreciate you being along for the ride. We appreciate you going to dmwpodcast.com, checking out a little more about us, the merch site, supporting the show. We do appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Jacob Supply. He's right here in Temperance, Michigan, quality building products at wholesale prices. He's a brother in the Lord. He's also reformed in his theology, so you know it's a great business. He has everything like appliances, building supplies, metal roofs, blocks, fencing, and what he does, he buys out from the major guys, passes on the savings to you, even if you're listening in Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, in the Midwest, and you're a couple hours away, drive up. It's definitely worth your time. Support that brother. Also, Reform Sage is a sponsor of the show. They have all kinds of cool stuff, t-shirts, coasters, bookmarks, and they own uh, reformedroasters.com. So if you have a coffee itch, go check them out. Nick is a wonderful brother in the Lord. Met him actually at a Fight, Laugh, Feast conference early, uh, a few years ago. And we just connected and we love supporting him as well. Cool. Now that we got the business out of the way. Speaking of Fight, Laugh, Feast, I think uh, this is where we met our next guest. We have uh, an author, a blogger, uh, pastor of Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho, Mr. Doug Wilson. Pastor Doug Wilson on the show. How are you, Doug? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and thank you for being here. We appreciate you being generous with your time. So what we want to talk about today, and we're going to get right into it. Sometimes we do new segments. Sometimes we uh, play around a little bit. Um, but I want you to give maybe just a one or two minute bio of who you, who you are for the new listeners. I know you've been on the show in the past. It was about a year and a half ago now, but for the new listeners, just tell them a little bit about yourself and then we're going to get right into the subject matter. I'm the pastor of Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho. Moscow is up in the panhandle of Idaho in the, um, in the beautiful part. <laughs> and um, I've I've been here for since 1975. When I I got out of the Navy, I was in the submarine service and got out in 75, and I've been here ever since. Awesome. So here's what we want to talk about. So you're an author. Uh, you do a lot of things out there uh, at, at your church that are very creative. Uh, there's there's podcasters. There's artists. There's uh, authors, all these things. And I kind of wanted to hone in on how we should treat the arts as believers. For those listening, now I grew up in a very legalistic home and then uh, about 14 went to a very Pentecostal uh, Toronto movement home. So I, I've, had, I've seen both sides of it. I was taught that, uh, you know, there was a lot of Christian contemporary music out there that was straight from Satan. Certain drum beats are bad. Uh, stay away from uh, electric guitar. And boy, you better not read any nonfiction. We only read the Bible, right? Now, I'm a musician. Um, I'm a writer, uh, not not, a, not as good as you, not an experienced writer, but I like to write and do those things, creative things. So the very first thing I want to say is, uh, how do we interact with the arts? How do we interact with music and with writing and, and with painting and, and uh, movies and film? How do believers interact with things that could be viewed as uh, secular or maybe outside of the Bible, but uh, we could use for the glory of God? Okay, so I would start with, there are two elements here. One is creation, the realm of creation. The other is the realm of redemption. Okay. Okay. In the in the realm in the realm of creation, there's nothing outside theology. There's nothing outside God's purview because Christ is Lord of all of it. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke, and there was light. Uh, God is the first 
artist. God is the first poet. God is the first singer. So basically all the arts uh, that we can sort of develop out of the way the world's created were embedded in the world by God. Music was God's idea. Color was God's idea. Uh, Culinary taste was God's idea. So um, and in the realm of creation, um, we have to recognize that nothing human is outside the authority of Scripture. Nothing human, truly human, is outside the realm of sound biblical theology. So that's the foundation for the Christian artist. But the realm of redemption is also uh, important to emphasize because this is an area where the fundamentalists have uh, uh, an appropriate instinct that they take too far, okay? Okay. And that is the fact that every artist— is a sinner, right? <laughs> right. Uh, uh, and the world of art, the world of art is a world populated by sinners. So when John tells us to love not the world or the things in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, a bunch of the arts are going to be bundled up with that. When, when the devil tempted the Lord Jesus, and he showed him the kingdoms of this world. It says he showed him the kingdoms of this world and their glory, right? their artistic achievements, their mm. brilliance. So he, um, fallen man can do awful things with glorious things. So we have to beware of the cancerous rot of, of um, worldliness on the one hand. But we also have to avoid the cancerous rot of Gnosticism that wants to reject the material world. Right. Well, no, God made, God made color and taste and rhyme and music and, you know, all of that. Uh, it's God's idea. Mm. Yeah. So that's the, the broader view. So if we zoom in a little bit and we say, okay, let's get into some practical applications of that. Let's say, for instance, I'll take, I'll take uh, one of your books, for example, um, Ride Sally Ride, dealing with some very sensitive issues Uh, I would even say some Christians would say outlandish or wouldn't even want to read it. Other Christians embrace it and go, oh, no, we're we're the the point of this book and and what we're talking about needs to be talked about. Where is that line? When we talk about a sex doll, for instance, or we talk about, uh, you know, drunkenness or we talk about any type of sin in a in either uh, like a, a fiction book such that you wrote. Where is that line? Are, are we allowed to uh, have the character uh, saying a cuss word to show that there's anger there? Or, or is there or is there boundaries when creating art uh, in general? In this example, it's writing, but it could go, you know, go for anything. Sure. In, in, uh, uh, in every artistic endeavor that a Christian engages in, there are definite boundaries. We have to have boundaries. Mm. We're Christians. We're disciples. We are under authority everywhere we go, okay? The thing that we have to realize, however, is the boundary is set by Scripture and not by your Victorian great-grandmother. Okay. (laughs) All right. What does the Bible say? So I I had a long discussion with um, someone one time about a fictional piece that I wrote about a man in the process of conversion. He was under conviction of sin. He was a long story, but he was out hiking up a stream, and he slipped and fell and swore. He said, Jesus Christ, when he when he fell, mm. and then um, picked himself up. By the end of the story, he finally submitted, and his submission was him saying, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so 
a reader complained, a, a reader complained that that first instance where he was swearing, he was taking the Lord's name in vain. Uh, they, they were saying that because I had, as the author, had put that in his mouth, that I was taking the Lord's name in vain. Okay. Right? Now, but that's like saying if I write a story in which a character steals something, that I'm a thief. Or um, if a, a character gets drunk, then I'm a drunk. Well, no, that is, there may be sin involved, but it's not the same sin. Right. Okay. So, um, and I pointed out, I pointed out in our exchange that when Jesus told the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, uh, the Pharisee went down to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee said, uh, I thank thee, God, that I'm not like other men. Now, according to the, the Westminster Larger Catechist on the Third Commandment, on uh, taking the Lord's name in vain, mm-hmm fictional character in a parable Jesus told invoking the name of God when he was he he was he was taking the name of the Lord uh, uh, the Lord in vain and Jesus told that story I thank thee God that I'm not like other men mm. now here's the this this is the key it's not the presence or absence of the sin that uh, condemns or um, lifts up a story every author and this, the same would go for painting the same would go for a playwright or screenwriter same principle. Every author, every novelist knows that the difference between an ant- antagonist and a protagonist. Sure. Okay. So the protagonist is the one you identify with. And if you identify with him and identify with his sins such that you're led into sin, then the author is sinning. Mm. Okay. Right? Right. The, this is what the pornographer does. The pornographer is getting you to identify with your character who is lustful and you're lustful and the author is enticing you into but if you if you have a um, story that has a sexual scene in it that absolutely repels the reader it's done well sure and it's done in such a way that nobody nobody wants to be that like that fool yeah right yeah then if you're not you're not guilty of enticing or seducing uh, anybody. So go back to the parable where um, nobody reads the parable of the, the rich of the Pharisee praying in the temple and, and comes away saying, boy, I want to be that guy. Right. Right. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is a master to- storyteller and you identify with the public and who's to be a sinner and you don't identify with the self-righteous prig. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Covenant Real Estate. And why not? It's my podcast and my real estate company. But seriously, I've absolutely enjoyed helping clients buy, sell, and invest in real estate over the last 12 years. My brokerage serves clients in Michigan and Ohio, with more states coming soon. When I started this brokerage, I wanted to ensure that my expertise and knowledge would serve every one of my clients. I take my fiduciary responsibility to my clients very seriously. That's why I named it Covenant Real Estate. Not only is a covenant a contract in the legal sense, but it's also a solemn promise from myself to each of my clients. I will do my absolute best to serve you. It's also pretty cool that our name has some theological implications as well, which is a great conversation starter. And here's the best part. My agents and I have extensive experience in helping people buy and sell residential homes, buy and sell commercial properties, as well as investing in real estate and selling and purchasing recreational and vacant land. 
Covenant Real Estate can help you with all of your real estate needs, and I would love the opportunity to earn your business. So if you have real estate needs in Michigan or Ohio, call me at 734-731-GREG. That's 734-731-GREG. Or click on the link in the description of this podcast episode you're listening to right now. Remember, Covenant Real Estate. Confidence from contract to close. Yeah. So very much so it is where, like you said, where you're leading the reader in this case in, in authorship, it's not the specific subjects that are necessarily biblical or unbiblical or sinful or not sinful. Uh, and, and an example comes to mind when I first got married and I was young in my faith, my wife and I ran through about 10 or 11 uh, fiction books. I can't remember the author, but it was a prey series, Shadow Prey, Bird of Prey, right? And it was about this uh, cop, this wild cop, and he does his own thing, and he's a womanizer, and he's a drunk, and he, but he's the guy that you identify with, and you go, wow, this guy, I like, I want to see this guy win. I want to see him solve the case, and I want to see, but he's this wretched sinner, and we got about 10 books in, and I go, I don't know if this is, you know, and I'm young in my faith, and we're just married, and I go, I don't, and we, we would read a book and then I would hand her the book and I'd start the next one and just every bed, every night. And you're just engrossed. It was great writing. And I go, I don't know if this is glorifying to God, right? It's, I, I, it was doing exactly what you just said. He was leading me, the reader, to, to side with or to root for the depraved sinner. Uh, no matter right. what little redeeming qualities he had at the end, you know, he solves right. the case, you know, he helps the lady get her, you know, whatever, find the, find the killer. And so that's the point you're making there in writing. Correct. Am, am I tracking with that? Right. Correct. Tracking completely. Art shapes your loyalties. Okay. Okay. So when you're reading, when you're reading a poem, when you are reading a novel, when you're looking at a great painting, what's happening is your loyalties and your affections are being shaped and directed. Mm. Now that doesn't mean that every artist has to be a born again Christian because there are non-Christians who by common grace can help shape your loyalties in the right direction. Absolutely. Okay. But, but uh, pornographers don't do, do that. Uh, people who write cynical, hard bitten, nasty, you know, right. diatribes <laughs> against humanity. Right. They don't do that. So everything has to do with, is this, is this helping me in my walk with God? Am I more like Jesus Christ as a result of having engaged with this material? And if you can't say, well, it's got sin in it. Chesterton says, a book without a wicked character is a wicked book. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So let me shift gears and talk about another section of art. What about music? What if you have a piece of music? One is a classical Mozart movement. And the one is, you know, no lyrics, let's say, just for argument's sake. And one is, uh, you know, speed metal or a Metallica or a, uh, you know, or, right. or jazz or, you know, what do we do there? Is there, is the artist who created that music, can they lead the listener into a certain place based on the chords and the tone and the beat and the tempo and the timing signature? Or is that something we can embrace at all and, and sort yeah. it out for ourselves? Yeah, I, I would. I want to argue that instrumental music by itself is not spiritually neutral. Okay. I believe that instrumental music alone can conform to the way God made the world, or be in rebellion against the way God made the world. Okay. And and music that is in rebellion against the way God made the world 
is music that is discordant and um, sure. uh, just angry, rebellious, etc. Um, so there's a but there's a difference between music that is discordant and rebellious and music that I don't like because I'm not used to. Right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So if somebody is is if somebody's musically uneducated and they've never heard a song that had more than three chords in it, and someone introduces them to a classical jazz piece, they might not like it. They might it might just sound like a bunch of noise to them. But that's like uh, an acquired. There's a difference between eating a bowl of gravel, which is bad, yeah, <laughs> and drinking. An, Drinking a bowl, uh, drinking uh, an oatmeal stout—that would be an acquired taste. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so there are things that are immediately palate, uh, entry level, immediately um, pleasant. Sure. Like a like a hard candy. Um, there are things that you have to train your palate to come to appreciate, and then there are things that you should never train your palate to appreciate. Sure. So. Um, so I, I would I want to argue that um, the scales, the the musical intervals, tonal music, is how God intended for music to be played. Um, atonal music or John Cage's cacophonous music is or random is rebellion. Death metal, I think, is just rebellion. Um, that's <laughs> sure. that's it's, not the case. It's kind of in the title. Yeah. Uh, so so basically. It goes back to Mark Twain's old joke about Wagner's music. He he said you have to understand that Wagner's music is much better than it sounds. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, so I've always struggled with that. I'm a musician. I play piano. I play drums. Um, I absolutely love a syncopated beat. And when it feels like a jazz musician between the drummer and the bass line and the, and the piano is keeping me on the edge of my seat because he's running a seven, seven, eight time signature. And it just feels, it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel I mean, it's harmonious in a sense because I know that's coming. And when you finally get that beat or you get that syncopated beat, it's a relief. But I've had people tell me, oh, absolutely not. If it's not harmonious and if it's not in a time signature that is, you know, harmonious in God's created order, boy, that can get you into some places. Now, I would agree with you, a death metal song, something like that. I have no place for that in my life, and I don't feel that's glorifying. But I can sit back and listen to jazz and appreciate that. And most people would go, yeah, not only is it not a taste— I don't like it, but someone even argue, well, it's not harmonious. It's not in a three, four, four, four signature. And I go, boy, I got addicted to Keith Green when I was young. And he was, he was a Billy Joel slappy. He was all unsyncopated and off kilter and weird time signatures. So, so you know what I mean? I, I struggle with that and go, where's that line at? And it sounds like you're saying there's a, a line where there's discord or, or not harmonious, but do we have a, an actual line in the sand or is it, is there a little bit of a gray so, sliver there? I, I don't think it's gray. I think it's an area where it might be gray for me because I'm, if I'm not musically educated enough, I might not be in a position to evaluate something, but to, to say that God prohibits even dissonance or, or uh, bending a note or distortion or anything like that is like telling a painter that he can't use black paint. Um, <laughs> right. Well, black is this color of the devil. Um, come on. Um, if, if you just had nothing but black, gloom, gray, if the, there's something wrong with your worldview. Yeah. But if, if you said, I could improve the Lord of the Rings as a story by taking Sauron out and Saruman out and taking Gollum out 
and taking the Nazgul out and having Hobbit stand around in a meadow, uh, I, I I need a discordant element. Right. I need to have I have I have to have notes that crunch sometimes that collide with each other sometimes. Sure, I have to have this the rhythms put me off balance sometimes so that I can enjoy the pleasure of re- regaining my balance. Yeah, good point. So, but it, it but if you have music that just keeps you off balance all the time mm. right yeah, yeah then i would say that's that's rebellion but if you have something that uh veers off and comes back there is there's real pleasure yeah. in the resolution of um, a discordant chord like that sure and i would argue there's even harmony in that coming off going back and if you look at it there's a pattern within jazz that allows you to every x beat get back to that which in itself is harmonious which in itself i think reflects christ and God. Um, okay. So let's, as we round this out, let me give you the last question here. Let's say we've got a young artist out there, young painter, young writer. Uh, they've read your books. Um, they've looked, uh, to the stuff you guys are doing in your church. What would you tell an aspiring writer or artist or musician? How do we glorify God in that? What's your kind of paragraph to them to say, either beware of this or try to do that. Okay. My, my exhortation to the young struggling artist whether he be a poet or a painter or sculptor or, you know, whatever, is uh, do not pursue your art for the sake of impressing other artists. Mm, that's good. Okay. You, you are, you want to be approved by God in the first instance, and you want to love non-artists in the second instance. Okay. Um, yep. We've got, we've gotten to the point where, Poets, for example, just write for other poets. It, it used to be that the poet laureate of England, for example, was someone that everyone on the street knew who it was. Right. Right. Yeah. They would say, oh, yeah, it's Tennyson. And we've got a volume of his poems at home. Uh, Tennyson, the poet laureate of England, wrote poetry for Englishmen. Yeah. Um, Longfellow wrote for Americans, English speaking people. Right. Nobody knows who the poet laureate is. Moreover, nobody cares. And and <laughs> and poets write for poetry journals that have a subscription list of seventeen other poets and libraries. Sure. Um, so basically, uh, and this is going to sound kind of crass, but I'll just put it out there. I believe that artists should never forget that they're in show business. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, you are to love regular people. <laughs> um, and you're not to put on airs. You're not to be a snob. You're to serve them in love. So you, what you want to do is give voice to expressions and feelings and thoughts that they've had and are not able to articulate because they're not artistic and you articulate it for them. Yeah. Or they hear that poem and say, that's it. Uh, instead of, uh, the regular average person saying, what the heck was that? Um, <laughs> oh, that's good. All right. So we've covered a lot in a little bit of time here. I think we're going to wrap this part up. Doug, will you stick around and uh, play fresh 10 with us so we can get to know you a little bit more? Sure thing. Let's do it. Here we go. All right, Doug never thought he was going to be on a podcast where he'd have to sit through that song, but here we go. Fresh 10 with Douglas Wilson. Question number one, since you're an author, who is your favorite author? And you can't say God. Okay, I won't say God. I'll say far and away, easily, C.S. Lewis. 
Love it. I had a feeling. Question number two, what's the most difficult thing about being a pastor? What's the most difficult thing about being a pastor? Sure, a, a real-world difficulty that someone might not think about. Um, the, the real-world difficulty, uh, probably the worst thing about being a pastor, is having people who have a bad that's almost entirely of their own doing that right. they can't see. Mm. Um, and and it probably comes out most um, evidently in marriage problems, like an intractable marriage problem okay. where they, they can't see that they, how they're by this behavior and this behavior and this behavior, they're feeding the very thing that's making and their spouse is doing the same thing. And you explain to them, you can lay it out, and say this is this is what you're doing. This is what's driving this. And you see the solution. You see what they need to do, and they don't see it. That's probably the most mm. uh, challenging, um, unhappy thing about being a pastor. Very good. Let's lighten it back up. What three vinyl albums are you taking with you on the deserted island? Can I get a vinyl rep- record player? Absolutely. We have to play, man. There's going to be a magical power source there and some speakers. Okay. So. Three vinyl records. Um, I would say Box Brandenburg Concertos. Mm, good. Handel's Messiah. Okay. And Eric Clapton's Me and Mr. Johnson. I love it. You're the second one to uh, say the Eric Clapton album. Very popular. All right. Question number four. What properties do you try to buy when you're playing Monopoly? Are you a boardwalk guy or do you go for the cheap stuff? I go for Park Place and I knew it. That way, when they hit with hotels, the game's over and you walk away. I love it. All right. Question number five. What movie can you watch over and over again and not get tired of it? What's something that you might just go to if you do watch movies? Yeah, I'm I'm not a big movie guy, um, but um, I would say um, Pride and Prejudice, the Colin Firth one. Yeah, that's good. All right, we're getting in our time machine. We're getting in the DeLorean, firing up the flux capacitor. Would you rather go back in time and visit your ancestors or go forward in the future and visit your great-great-grandchildren? <laughs> I would rather visit my great-great-grandchildren. I knew you would say that. The post mill's coming out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, question number seven, moving right along. If you could sit down with a cup of coffee with any historical figure, who's it going to be? A cup of coffee with any historical figure. And you only get as much time as to finish the coffee. Oh, man. I would say, and are you excluding Bible characters? No, anyone you want, any historical figure. The Apostle Paul. Yeah, that'd be a good one. I think it would take a couple cups of coffee with him. Yeah. (laughs) All right, question number eight. At what time of the day are you most creative? Between 6 and 8 a.m. There you go, morning. All right. Question number nine. What is one thing that people would assume about you? That is absolutely not true. I think that um, I've run into, actually, I know the answer to this one. (laughs) I've run into it. uh, There's no wrong answer. I've run into it a number of times. Um, And that is because some of my writing, some of the satiric writing belongs to the slash and burn school. Mm -hmm. Um, When I meet people in person, they are sometimes surprised that i can be pleasant <laughs> yeah they they just think you're mean and rude and they go wow he's actually a nice guy when you get to know him <laughs> all right last question what is one book outside of the bible that every person should at least pick up take a look at and flip through or read a pilgrim's progress oh so good that is a good answer all right that was fresh 10 with doug wilson can we kick that one more
All right, Doug, as we wrap up here, um, we'll make sure we link this all up. Do you have any uh, socials, media, or any websites or anything you're working on you want to throw out there for the listeners they can check out? Probably the best thing is DougWills.com, my blog. Pretty much everything I do is linked there somehow. Awesome. Guys, uh, thank you so much for listening. Pastor Wilson, thank you so much for being so generous with your time, coming on the show, and talking to us about these very important yeah, subjects. Awesome. Happy to do it. Thank awesome. You. Guys, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate you uh, supporting the show and giving us constructive criticism and feedback. We'll continue to try to bring you uh, episodes like these where we talk about fun, important stuff and try to bring glory to God. As always, God bless. Be sure to check us out at dmwpodcast.com where you can purchase the best and snarkiest merch on the internet, support the show, and leave us a review or message. Dead Men Walking can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Dead Men Walking Podcast and on Twitter X at Real DMW Podcast. The Dead Men Walking Podcast is part of the Fight Laugh Feast Network. For exclusive show content, be sure to download the Pub TV app and become a member. If you're a business that needs to reach hundreds of thousands of potential customers in your demographic, podcast advertising might be for you. Send all inquiries to Dead Men Walking Podcast at gmail.com. None your biscuits.